Welcome to the Mac DevOps YVR podcast. This podcast is about the Mac DevOps YVR conference in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. This year, the conference is taking place June 10th, 11th, and 12th, 2020. We'll interview guests and discuss topics around managing Macs using open source software projects inspired by DevOps. Our goal is to encourage developers and IT to work together to solve problems for our community. For more information, see our website, mdoyvr.com. This is the Mac DevOps podcast. Welcome to the Mac DevOps podcast. I am joined today by my amazing and lovely co-host JD and my amazing and super intelligent, awesome co-host Shauna. Hey. Hey man, how's it going? Hi gals and boys. How are you doing today? We have scoured all the coasts for guests. We've gone to Montreal. We've gone to Seattle, and now we're somewhere between the Midwest and the East Coast. Welcome today, Tim Perfett. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate Yay. the opportunity to come on and hang out in this virtual forum versus other virtual forums that we've been hanging out in. Just when you've mastered Slack, here's Discord. I've actually dipped my toe into the general. I was scared of that. I joined Slack, and then I went to the general channel, and it scared me off for about a year and a half. And then I went back in just because the volume was just, it was like I turned on notifications and it was just insane. And I told some people at Penn State, like, can't get Slack. I'm like in the general channel. Like, no, no, don't do the general channel. There's too much. But I've recently, I think it's either slowed down or I'm able to keep up now. So I've dipped my toe back in. So it's a bit magical when you discover there's actually other channels and then you go hunting around yeah. <laughs> looking for and what? then you Just discover a... there's too many channels. <laughs> and a channel called Too Many Channels. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's like having a conversation and someone tells you that at every moment in the conversation, you have to step into another room to continue the conversation. Oh, I'm sorry. You're talking about Two Canoes MDS? Let's go to that channel. Oh, a monkey report. Sorry. No. Um, mm-hmm. Let's go to the monkey report. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I see that all the time in the general panel. Like, oh, they have a channel for that. They have a channel for that. And it's like, oh, okay. But people are really nice about it. That's what I always like about the Mac community. There's not... We had, I guess, back when we had the mail, I guess it was the Apple mailing list that had a little bit of vitriol in it, but the uh, Mac admins always was very good, very good at self policing. Uh, so the forums one, or there was the mail, Apple listserv, I think that's what it was. There would be some people on there who would start flaming folks, but it's always been really, but the Mac admins one, and now Slack, people are, you know, I've, I've met folks who are like, oh, I don't, I don't feel like I could, you know, say anything because I don't have the expertise. I'm like, people are really nice there, right? You rarely get. If somebody starts talking, what I like is when somebody's nasty, I just wait for it. And pretty much somebody else will jump on. I'm saying, like, this is inappropriate, you know, back off. So it's very good at that. Yeah, back in the days of mail list, it was, I always thought it was kind of like when you, you knew when somebody was waking up because they would respond to every single thread that they'd seen. And then, like, nasty response, nasty response, or very technical, I am correct response. And then, then yeah. they go away. And then you're like, oh, they just woke up. It's like, <laughs> At least with Slack, there's different channels where you can hide or hang out in or just try to make friends. Yep. Yep. Shauna, are you hanging out in any channels? Oh, I'm always lurking in a channel or two. Um, <laughs> but aren't we all always lurking in a channel or two? I mean, there's there's some that I watch, like, I think more closely than others. I think um, the ones that I kind of watch, I mean, obviously... Um, Mac DevOps. I'm always reading that one just to see what's new. Um, but 
of the women's lack and then the um, different. Oh, I'm recently I've been really into the Intune slack, but not necessarily speaking <laughs> slack as much as I've been searching in this in the slack for um, various information that I need because we just rolled out Intune. So um, that's been super helpful. So slack like has kind of, you know, in, in its way of being its own knowledge base in a, in a kind of way. So in addition to the camaraderie you have, you also have all the information that's in there. So Slack. Are there Microsoft engineers in there as well? Yeah, there is. Yeah. Um, some people use um, Intune to manage Macs. Um, and I've been trying, we've been trying it, but it's, it's not the best. I would, um, I would definitely say it's not the best. I, I come from a Jamf environment. So, um, you know, it's like going from like eating like, you know, really great ice cream, you know, and then like getting the stuff that like they give to you in elementary school, you know, and like plastic cups. But is Intune an MDM as well or? It is an MDM. Um, so. It's the Microsoft MDM. It would just be the one piece, right? You need your MDM plus your jam for plus your monkey or plus something that would actually install properly. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, um, I've been, I've been in there quite a bit recently, but, um, yeah. So what, is, what does Intune have that, or what does Jamf have? What do you miss from Jamf Pro that, that Intune is lacking? <laughs> Everything. It's like, where um, do you start? Um, because we have, we don't have like a huge fleet where we've kind of just started when I came here, we didn't have a whole lot of, um, infrastructure set up to like modern standards. So um, we're kind of, we've been kind of ramping up slowly, but surely I was promised, um, you know, a, a different MDM. They, we kind of went through the process of picking cause I just, I just started here um, nine, it's been nine months. So most I think of my tenure here has been COVID. <laughs> a lot of it has been COVID. Um, so um, we just kind of got started getting everything up to speed and just when we were making decisions around MDMs and that kind of thing, COVID kind of hit. So I've just been making do with what we have. Um, but as you know, Jamf does a hundred things that Intune can't do. Um, but really right now, I don't need it to do anything crazy. So I can, you know, kind of, I can work with it to, to do what I need to do. So um, it works, you know, um, we had AirWatch before. Um, and that thing, somehow somebody hosed it. So um, <laughs> uh, it's kind of, you know, just kind of dealing with coming in and, and figuring out how someone else set things up and, you know, that kind of thing. So it's been, it's been, an, it's been an interesting ride, but yeah. I invited Tim Perfit to talk about MDS and all wonderful things Duke News. Um, congratulations on the MDS version three release. Great, thank you. Yeah, we're excited about it. yesterday. Yeah, yesterday was awesome. We have to yeah. celebrate every day. Yeah, well, we um, we had it. And we've been working on it for a while, and it was in beta for a week, which is a little bit of time just to make sure there's nobody running around with the hairs on fire. But the cool thing about MDS is I put out the build early, and people kick the tires pretty much. There's some folks that download it immediately as soon as I post a build. It's a little bit nerve wracking, but people give great feedback, and so when we went, we got to the release. It was kind of you know, people are like, well, where's what, where's three, one, you know, at this point. So it's, it's nice to uh, get it out the door 
Um, it's definitely more server-like than MDS 2.2. So we got a bunch of services that are run in the background and do things that are, I don't know, that I've always wanted to have, that we, we're kind of missing since everything moved to this new T2 world of setting up Macs, right? That having something like deployment with NetBoot is, is convenient in some situations, and we can't do NetBoot anymore. So doing recovery and those kind of stuff is a great alternate way to do it. It feels like uh, you've had a, a good long beta period, more than a week for MDS, but you've had uh, some beta versions for, it seems like almost two months, because I think one of the first things that I did when I, I got locked down here at home was download the beta version of MDS version three and uh, set it up just because my daughter wanted one app on her laptop. I thought it was a good excuse to set up a new monkey environment at home and monkey report and test out. Uh, and then uh, I, I just really liked how you made the nice... Uh, conglomeration of imager installer and then monkey monkey report and even micro mdm which i haven't tried quite yet but uh, i love the the combination of awesome apps in a nice in a nice app wrapper so yeah a lot of what came out of uh 3.0 was uh patrick exner's uh the ui he was uh he's he wanted to help me with some of the icons but it turned out to be a total refresh of the ui and then he's a big uh, proponent of monkey report and i wasn't very familiar with it and uh he's like if you do monkey most people do monkey do monkey report and i didn't realize that it did all the all the different modules you can have so i've been open my eyes have been open to this kind of new world of monkey report and how it's not just for monkey it's for inventorying mm -hmm. and then he pushed me a lot to you know like it should be one click to set it up and i had to figure out how to do php with apache and all that stuff that server kind of used to do Plus, it gave me the opportunity before when you quit MDS, all the services would stop, which always kind of irritated me. So I managed to get everything to run in the background. At one point, I was going to put MDS in the App Store, so it couldn't really have stuff that ran in the background, couldn't require admin rights. But it became pretty clear that early on that I wanted to do a bunch of stuff the App Store just wouldn't allow. And so once I crossed that threshold of having him have it do admin, I, I was able to add all these different things in. And I think ultimately it's, in a, it's a better place for it, but uh, I don't know. It seems like the world's going to the app store at the same time. Most of the stuff we have requires admin, which can't go in the app store. So I don't know. I guess there's a whole class of apps that will never be in the app store, but are still have, you know, some purpose. I mean, there's so many little touches in MDS version three that are just amazing. I could uh, congratulate you for an hour. I, I, I just upgraded Monkey uh, Report because they like to uh, build fast and build often, and they just released 5.5.0. And so the GUI in Monkey Report just shows there's an update available, and the update is so seamless. It's It puts my regular Monkey Report uh, setup to shame. It's just so quick and easy to upgrade Monkey Report inside of MDS. That okay. uh, I mean, oh, cool. thanks. So you, see, you saw the indicator in there, and it said there's an update available. Clicked on it, downloaded it. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I'm an actual user. Another, actually clicked on the button. Patrick, <laughs> yeah, I was telling me like, I don't like, I don't want to have to, I don't want to incorporate the services and be in charge of updating them because people do a lot of modifications. Plus, it means all these projects I'd have to keep up to date. He's like, well, you at least need to notify folks. And I'm found on GitHub. There's a on like an RSS feed. You can query for the most recent version and just just compare it. And so I added that in, and uh, it it's hard to test because. There's got to be an update to do it. So it's cool that here's someone using it to be able to know that a new one came out. And I know Monkey 5 just came out. And right now, actually, my MDS shows that I'm behind and I need to update as well. 
Yeah, I mean, cute little apps like MDS are so useful and there's little indicator lights and checking versions. I mean, I was looking at AutoPackager as well on, an, on the same machine. I have AutoPackager running and it was like, oh yeah, you need a new version of AutoPackage. You need a new version of Monkey and grab the recipes, throw the recipes in, dump them into Monkey, go to Monkey Report, you know, see it, that everything is updating. And um, it was also amazing when you joined the uh, Monkey Report uh, virtual meetup so you could learn a little bit about you know, what's happening with uh, Monkey Report and tell people about MDS. And then they were t throwing you uh, some interesting tidbits like, oh, maybe we shouldn't install in the user local Monkey Report folder. Or, hey, it would be nice if we could edit the .n file. Or... Yeah, well, that's what I plan to do on, on 3.1 or the next update is uh, add in some more modules because I didn't realize, one, that it had a bunch of modules that it came with that aren't activated by default. There's only a couple of them. Like, there's four reports you can mm -hmm. run. But I guess there's like 85 that you can enable. And I'm like, I had no idea. And uh, that would be awesome to be able to have that functionality. And then I want to spread the word, right? I had no idea. Monkey Report, for some reason, never hit my radar. And I, I, I talk with a bunch of Apple SEs you know, quite a bit. And they're really focused on MDM. But I'm like, this is not really MDM. This is another something that folks can really be using. So it didn't have visibility. So I've become an advocate for Monkey Report to really like, try and let people know how much more you can learn about your machines just by installing this, this app. It's amazing inventory. Like you said, you can easily pull up the, all the clients you have, what hardware they have, what software, and they keep adding new features in Monkey Report, like, oh, you are running 10.13 on this Mac Mini, and 10.13 is the latest OS you can run on it. You can see your warranty information. You can see so much information. And I know uh, John Crane worked on a proof of concept that he was testing so that uh, Jamf and Monkey Report could work well together, or you could tie yeah. different uh, features together, or Tuxedo built a little extended attributes module for Monkey Report, so you could take all the Jamf extended attributes and throw them into Monkey Report. And I saw another thing that uh, uh, Tuxedo had built. Uh, you can you can tag into the event stream, so you can have any script doing anything on the machine. Just send a message to that will display in Monkey Report by sending the right uh, key combination of just saying, "Oh, report on a non-existent module, this event info," and then boom, it just shows up in your Monkey Report. So one admin was was detecting some like torrent apps and then deleting them and then sending the event to Monkey Report, so that you could just see it on your dashboard. It's like perfect <laughs> and i deal with a lot of folks that are like they they don't know they're like oh we're thinking about getting an mdm and they don't know about any of these tools and we start talking it's a lot to digest at first with monkey monkey report and you know it, being able to set up a mac in the right way because they might be used to like monolithic imaging or just using the installer and so it's a lot to do and that's one of the reasons behind mds is like put it all into one place one click button to start these things up and kind of dip your toe in without having to you know necessarily have this whole huge infrastructure in order to do these things and each product is or each project is standalone and uh full featured but it can be a lot to take in at first so i wanted to make this into a turn it morphed into like like the mac os server of uh mac admin open source tools it's, kind of thing i mean the, the so, fact that you can stick in a usb key into your your mac with mds and then download a new version of the os that you want you know 10 14 10 15 save that with a workflow of different actions and scripts and software and then plug that usb key into a machine boot it up install from recovery mode imager does all the work installers copying stuff over and running the scripts and i mean 
I've used all the tools separately. So to see it all so nicely done, it's, uh, it's, it saves, you know, it saves trouble. You don't feel cheated. You're like, Oh, this is good. This is just the way it should work. Super quick. Super nice. It rounds the edges. So it's like you can drop in a application and it'll package it up for you in a way that the Mac OS installer likes. It'll sign the packages too. So it's kind of like all the little things you could do yourself with a script or this or that. Another thing that the install Mac OS was install, install Mac OS, the Greg Nagel project to, to download the installers. That's when you put in there. And so you don't have to remember the commands. It just has it there so you can download it. So it adds the one thing is you want to do one thing and then have it lead into the next one and the next one kind of thing. And that's what MDS is trying to do is make it so you can have a one-stop shop to get started and then kind of expand out from there. In fact, I saw on Slack today, somebody was saying, I want to say, I've never done monkey before. I want to set it up. And they're like, Oh, just put MDS and turn it on. Cause it's a great way to get started. I'm like, Oh, that's great. I love it. I think I was telling someone else about do that with monkey report. Cause someone was like, I want to test monkey report. And I'm like, Oh, you could, here's a script. I wrote, you know, I stole from somebody or hacked together, or you could just turn on MDS and just grab monkey report and set up your test environment. But no, no. So Shauna, we got to get you uh, running MDS and uh, monkey and monkey report so You can get super cool info from all your fleet. <laughs> because i mean mdm is definitely still required i mean i i signed up for simple mdm a few years ago because we needed mdm to whitelist kernel extensions and do different things in the privacy you know tcc but i mean that's in addition to my monkey monkey report and when i didn't have my monkey after the whole COVID thing and everyone was on the wrong part of the firewall on the other side of the vpn I was trying to install apps with MDM and I was like, this is so bad. It's as bad as people said it was going to be is installing apps via MDM. It works, but you never know it's going to work. But then with a monkey, at least you can send something out and, and, and see with monkey report if it's happening and monkey make sure things are installed or uninstalled or MDM is just, wow, half an idea. That's a lot of folks that are looking at MDS the way I've, I've talked to folks like, Oh, we can just put our applications and restart or re reinstall the Mac OS from, from our MDM. And it's like, yes, you can, but they, they come back and they're like, it's not specific. If it fails, it's going to retry a couple of times the network, depending on the network, doesn't give feedback to you. I just want to know this machine set up. So I give out, it's going to be successful. And that's MDM doesn't quite do that yet, but front loading all this stuff with either, MDS with monkey to do the larger packages or just MDS and then have MDM kind of keep it up to date. It's very, for them, they know they can put it out there and it'll be good from the get go. And they don't have to worry about, you know, did that, you know, Adobe suite get installed or Microsoft Office get installed because, you know, the teacher might be in a remote location where it's the Wi-Fi is not great. Um, I've been playing with MDS and trying to get the workflows right, which has taken me a few weeks uh, or months just playing with it, but I haven't uh, tried the micro MDM integration. Is that I was just looking at your webpage, Dave. Does that involve like the annual subscription so you can get like a push certificate? Or how does that work with the micro MDM uh, integration with MDS and your services that you support? Right. So that's one of the things I wanted to, I approached Apple, I guess it was almost a year ago or a little bit more than a year ago and asked about, I think there should be an open source offering for MDM um, that uh, well, let me just back up. Micro MDM isn't isn't is an offering, but they're it's not. They're very careful to say they're not a product, right? They're like they're the tools, developer tools, or are kind of the cogs that the engine that runs it. And I said there should be an offering you can download and do this stuff. But the big thing is the certificate. You have to you have to get it from Apple, and to get an enterprise account, not that it it costs three hundred dollars a year, but it it can be. Uh, 
uh, onerous to get that account where you have to go through a lot of hoops. And so I wanted to, two canoes to be able to offer that. And so you got to have some relationship with, um, with two canoes or with the MDM vendor in order to get that push certificate. And so what that means is just having going to a web page and signing up doesn't seem like that's a real relationship. So we wanted to have some kind of contract, you know, signing money changing hands. So I think it's like $50 or $150 per year. I think it's $50 that you can just sign up, supports the project, and they get the push certificate. I originally wanted to offer it for free as a service, but I didn't want to run afoul of Apple Legal, right? Because that's not really what you want to do. And so um, it's it's allows people to get that. So yeah, the MDM service does require a push certificate, does require one of our support contracts, but it's it's just enough to get us to have a, like a relationship. So we stay stay within the letter of the law. Well, you're a perpetual inventor and tinkerer, Tim. From your uh, modest begin- beginnings as an AD superstar, you'd always be answering people's questions <laughs> about AD, and then you went and uh, made your uh, was it boot runner or uh, the cloning wing clone? clone. Sorry, yes. Yeah. And, yeah, we just and- released, today we released wing clone eight two, which allows you to inject drivers into. After you restore a Windows image, you can inject the drivers because we had all sorts of tr- trouble with the T two machine because you know the T two processor is the SSD. And if the Windows drivers aren't there, it won't boot up. So now it can inject the drivers, which was a lot of fun figuring out how to edit the registry and insert drivers from the Mac side into Windows. And you've been playing with a lot with a lot of hardware. I think I've, you know, just on the spur of the moment, just bought pretty much anything you sell. And I think I have some Bluetooth beacons or something in my house and things that you have, <laughs> may have sold at one point. You know, I, I, it's hard to keep track of all the things you're doing too. Oh, yeah. It's, well, I was at Apple for from 2001 to 2012. And uh, when I left, I found that it's I can decide my own project. So I've kind of worked on things that are interesting. And beacons were one area that I thought were very fascinating. The idea of that you can trigger stuff kind of in the virtual space from physicalness. So you being around your phone or being you know in proximity of something was fascinating to me. And we actually had Jamf inter- inter- uh, integrated in so you could do policy based on proximity. People were setting up their printers and stuff like that, depending on where their Mac or their iOS device was, which I thought was really kind of cool. It didn't catch on quite as much as I think, just because you had to install. It's only Bluetooth range, so to kind of get your whole organization is a lot of work. Um, but yeah, there's been a lot of these fun projects. The whole IoT thing has been kind of an exciting area recently. As, as Apple has made the Mac more kind of controlled and more iOS-like, this whole IoT stuff is making it where you can do anything you want to with the hardware. So it's it's definitely kind of part of the, like, get my fingers dirty playing with the, uh, the hardware stuff. Well, anything is a good excuse to buy a new 3D printer, right? You were printing cases for your automaton, and how many 3D printers do you have now? I think Joel said you had two or something. Three. Three. <laughs> three. Yeah, yeah, three, because we had a, a big order, and we tried to see how much it would be to order, like, get them in a real mold, and it didn't make sense. And I turns out I could buy... This printer I spent three thousand dollars on like eight years ago. You can get it for like five hundred bucks on eBay now. Um, so I bought three printers, and people would come in, and it, it, it's quite the sound of hearing three 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 D printers going like. Zit, 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 zit. People ask like, "You work while you hear that?" And like, yeah, you get used to it. So, do you find it was mostly educational institutions that were buying your automaton and then using them to like image labs and set up computers on in mat on mass or? 
No, it's it turned out anybody that gets them in that has to prep them to be ready. And so we have like rental places that rent max, uh, places that do events, like they will loan them out. Um, place that like loan out, like libraries that loan out to students. They come in and they want to have it. They want a quick way to refresh them. So something that you can't tie. It's not the individual users that's stamped onto that computer because like if it's a borrowed machine, you don't want to do that. So labs a good example, but uh, libraries, rentals, events, um, initial deployment. So we have one 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 folks uh, K twelve that's doing twelve thousand max this summer, and uh, they want to. You know, they have to get all the software and roll an MDM and all that stuff. And they can't just get it ready because then when the teachers get it, if they if it's not in that state, they don't, it's not really ready for them. And their drives, it's not really set up. So we're helping them to like roll out, uh, you know, get the, the machine into a state that they know that it's in, it's functional and then MDM kind of takes over from there. So yeah, it's an initial appointment. It's an initial appointment. And another thing that they call is, Rapid return to service. When you walk up to a machine, it's not working. You want to just get it back and not troubleshoot. Like, why is this connecting to MDM? What version of OS is? You don't care. Plug in the thumb drive, command R, workflow runs, walk away. Nice. I mean, we used to nuke and pave in the good old days too with NetBoot. Yep. Yep. Same thing. Like, so, same take, kind of flavor. Takes too long to uh, troubleshoot to so just re image it, you know, right back to mm -hmm. scratch. Yep. I mean, yep. with MDM, is there any leftover stuff? I mean, I guess these machines wouldn't be uh, signed in with an Apple ID or anything, but they just show up and re or Well, the big problem is File Vault, right? If somebody, we've had that with people, especially in 1015, before 1015, if it was File Vaulted, you could just still go to recovery, go to disk utility, and uh, erase the drive. But now it's, uh, you go into recovery, if you don't know the password, either have to have the File Vault key or you reset you reset the device and then it goes back to like the I don't know not even the flashing question mark it's just like no OS on it so it's def Apple's definitely making it so it's a thorough wipe when you uh, don't know the password to File Vault so that can cause like uh, that's one of the stumbling blocks for just if you don't know anything about the machine but most of the shared use machines are are not File Vaulted anyways so when you get a question mark do you have to uh, do an internet recovery or uh, or a local recovery or and that's one of the interesting. I thought, I thought when you sent the MDM command, because once we added in the erase device into the MDM as part of MDS, and I thought when you did an erase device from MDM on a Mac, it would go back to just like iOS it would go back to the setup assistant, right? Like, oh, here you are, it's reinstalled it. But that's not what it does. It just wipes the drives and like you're good. <laughs> At that point, you go into internet recovery. You kind of walk it through. So it's not like you put it into a state where it's you know completely reset it's reset in the sense that there's nothing on the drive. So Shauna, can we hook up Intune to uh, MDS? I have to see how it works. I'm still poking around in there, trying to figure out um, exactly what I can do and what I can't do. Right now I'm just deploying a couple apps. Um, just just did Zoom today, so nothing crazy, but I but feel I like that would inventory. be really helpful to understand what's going on with our fleet. Um, does it do a lot of inventory in, in Intune, or does it show you what you have? Not really. Or? It just gives you the device, um, like the serial number and uh, you know what you name it and who has it. That's about it. It doesn't give mm. doesn't give much information other than that. So, so how is deploying Zoom? Is it? I know that the there were some people that had that it did some funky stuff with the script. But is it relatively straightforward now with the installer? Um, actually, I've been using um, I've been using packages. Um, okay. to get it signed and everything and, and push it out. We already have, I think, most of the computers 
had Zoom, but we were kind of testing it. We did Chrome, which is easy. Um, but those are just the, the, the first two that we've tried. I had a couple problems, though, getting Zoom initially onto machines because it kept asking for admin credentials, which is totally no. weird because I don't no. think you need admin to even download it when you're downloading it. Um, like well, I was um, I was complaining about it. And somebody told me that they have a special installer for mass deployments, like enterprise type deployments. The consumer one requires like admin or you to be logged in or something like that. Right, but even on the website, they have them kind of side by side on the download okay. page, and like for both of them, I was getting the same kind of result. But um, after some trial and error, I think we might have it solved. But um, I haven't quite haven't quite gotten it to the point where I'm ready. To send it out to everyone <laughs> so you repackaged it yourself with packages i did yep yeah, i love um, got the developer people. certificate all that sort yeah. of way yeah yeah i had some initial issues with mdm because i was like trying to feed it sometimes a package that wasn't in the right format i mean it might have been signed but it was the wrong it wasn't distribution or archive format and i was just like how do i tell what format it's in i don't know i just normally feed everything to monkey monkey goes no problem and if there's anything okay. that has a problem auto package is already like you know, corralled it, lassoed it, and beat it to, into submission as an app. And, uh, you know, occasionally when you have to repackage something, it's basically I use monkey package to deploy it to a certain place and have a script install it if I need to do that kind of stuff. Like monkey package will put things where you want them to and run things that you need to. But auto package, I mean, the work of the community has saved us so much effort. I mean, it takes a lot of effort to find out that there are tools just to know yeah. that there's MDS or to know that there's monkey, to know that there's you know, all these apps, it takes a lot of effort. And sometimes people look at me and go, how did you do all this? You, you wrote all the software. I'm like, no, I just know about it. That's a lot of work right there. I mean, writing yeah. software is a lot of work, knowing mm -hmm. about software and how to use it. And I'm still discovering things in monkey and monkey report. And I have plans for more Mac DevOps conferences because there's so much I don't understand. So I have to keep throwing this conference on so I can invite people to teach me things <laughs> that I do not know. And it's then, a full you know, job, you know, there's one jam yeah. guy. <laughs> a lot of times there's one guy that mans that mans the, the jam setup. Like it's not, you know, you can really only have one person doing that job because not everybody agrees on everything. And that's another no, thing that I kind of realized. Definitely different ways. Um, yeah. Not everybody agrees on how to, how to do things. So usually it's like one jam man that does most of the jam things. <laughs> But I think and then everybody the, else is just hands off. I, I think in enterprise and corporations or, I don't know, people who want to do more DevOpsy things or more peer-approved things, some people wanted to get away from Jamf because they were, couldn't find a way to peer-approve. Like, hey, Tim wants to install the software. And then maybe, you know, Matt gets a notification that, you know, we should approve this or verify. Kind of like using Bitbucket or Git or GitHub or GitLab. And I think that... Some people in large organizations or even smaller ones where they want to be sanity checked, it's good to have, you know, builds and build checks. And um, I think uh, sometimes having one person, the Jamf man, <laughs> who's the only one who understands the workflow could be dangerous. And maybe, you know, if it's one person talking out loud, uh, this is how I think it should work. And then um, you could get into trouble. So, I mean... Um, other other that, uh, ideas that get kind of destroyed in the fray of that, right? when you have one person that does all the things, right? They're doing all the, the jump things. It's hard to get other people involved because, you know, they don't know whether you're doing things right or wrong or whatever. Um, it's hard to be kind of collaborative, but I find that, yeah. you know, it all depends on the team, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. I mean, we need to find a way to, 
I mean, Monkey doesn't by default come with a way to like, you know, get a peer approval for decisions. But if you incorporate some Git or GitHub or GitLab or something, some kind of peer review, you can maybe get a process. And I think we all would uh, do well with some sanity checking sometimes before we make uh, crazy decisions. But um, I've always appreciated going to the Bitbucket to grab the latest two canoes beta and grabbing it. And I mean, it's very civilized when you can, you know, when I had an issue with icons, you know, and someone's like, I'm not sure what you're talking about. Just file an issue. And so you can file an issue and go, here's the issue I think I'm having. And, you know, and then it can be addressed or not addressed or replicated or not replicated. And yeah, we all, we all figured it out that it was just your machine, Matt. So <laughs> it turns out, it turns out that it's a longstanding issue on some random machines on the internet that uh, the monkey icons folder sometimes conflicts with Apache's special folder for icons. Yeah. So I'm not sure why it only comes up for some people sometimes. And I only saw it on one developer machine. Well, we tried but, to replicate uh, it. There's an easy fix. Yeah, we tried to replicate it. We yeah, it I saw that. Like, you swept it aside. No. You're like, only affects Matt. We don't <laughs> care. <laughs> If somebody besides Matt sees this, then we'll look at fix it, fixing it. But one, one doesn't it's, count. It, it's great to see that I have no special status with two canoes. But thank you. Um, it's very egalitarian. Well, icons too, right? It's not like it's, you know, software's taken over. I was over. trying to show my daughter how install Zoom in the managed software center, and then there was no icon, and she was just like, what do I do? And so, Yeah. Dad fixed. I did. We had to change the icon. Went went from uh, was it uh, from green? No, what was it? Oh yes. the new one is the new one is green. We changed the icon color. New one is green. The other one was red, or was it I was can't purple? Remember. But anyway, people were just it's like we released it. And the big discussion was around the fact that the icon color changed. People were very <laughs> sad. I, I saw that. It was. I think Patrick did a lot of great work. People and, were using uh, we it definitely... on their drive. They were restamping the drives to do it, but <laughs> funny, you know, just like I did. I did see something. I, I'm kind of related to this. Somebody put their for presentations. They did a a cow field, and they would turn all their fuller icons into like a farmer's field. They turned all their fuller icons into cows, and so when they do a presentation, it looks like their folders are cows. And somebody did like a space scene with spacecrafts and stuff, and I'm like, that's awesome. So how do you uh, feel the, the relationship between commercial software and open software works and or, or works or doesn't work, especially for you? How's it been going? Uh, so we tried a brand new model with this, which was instead of trying to sell just per license copies, we're just going to give the software away and sell a support contract for it. And I think it, it came out of my uh, experience with other stuff that we tried to release and we had a lot of traction on some free software um, but it was getting that feedback is really important to be able to do it. And then um, giving, getting people to pay that want the support. So it's more when you take the kind of the price out of the equation and it's worked out really well for us for MDS. It's still very early days, but it's, it's uh, for me, it's, it's more work. I think that in terms of, uh, you know, just sell licenses and it's fine. You have to be engaged with people all the time. But it's it allows me to come up with features and what's needed. Like MDS three wasn't even out before we have the whole like uh, monkey report modules, and there's going to be you know there's a whole bunch of feature lists just because I'm constantly talking with folks about the software, and so it's it's been exciting for me to have this different take on it instead of you know just per license per license. But we still sell WinClone per license as well, and so that works out. But it's very established. We try to do some like search engine optimization for WinClone, but the search term that people looked at for searching for WinClone was WinClone. So it didn't really matter. It helped optimize for that. 
Um, but in terms of a new product to get it out there, it was, you know, it would just be another offering kind of thing, but to have it as part of an open source offering. Plus I was building on tools that are already part of the Mac community. But the, the one thing really kind of locked it in was the Deploy Studio. I thought Deploy Studio had a really interesting model because it was like, it gave the software for free. There was like nightly builds. They would iterate very quickly. Um, the, it wasn't open source, so you couldn't contribute back to it, right? But it was free. And so I thought, there, and the other thing is that there was no support for it. So you can get the community support, but if you want to pay for it, some people just didn't want to do it. It's like, oh, I can't get real support for it, but I don't want to. And I'm like, that's a great opportunity. If somebody wants to give me money and ask me questions, that's cool too, right? It makes it very sustainable. So um, it's been, it's been, uh, I think, a good experience, and uh, and I think it's it's more sustaining than I thought it was going to be. I mean, the Mac admins community uh, has really helped everybody, and so having you come together with your app and give back to the community really helps. And I'm, I'm always recommending MDS to people that are in education or have a great need for it or just for testing. And uh, I'm, I'm really happy that you made it and put together this project with the, your crew of uh, happy developers. You've got had yeah. a few helpers. Yeah, well, one thing that's interesting to me is that there are some places that like they like MDS, they're using it, but it's not real software until, until their boss pays for it. Like my boss won't approve it unless we, they, you give, they give you money. <laughs> like, okay, that works too, right? So it's, it's fine. It's open source to use it, but it's not unless they have some kind of PO or something like that, it's not real. And other people just want to support it and other people just want to give feedback to it. So... I love I love the fact that it's it it has that positive feedback instead of it just being you know uh, a couple of dollars per license kind of thing. Well, I mean, I remember in the early days of uh, Netboot, I, I would send uh, beer money to uh, Mike Bombick for NetRestore because he was saving my yeah. life, you know, to make the NetRestore and Netboot uh, actually work to image machines, and he had some kind of send me beer money or something. I think I don't know what it was, but. Uh, I was more than happy as a, even a, a poor IT tech to send a few dollars because it was making my life very happy. And well, he's the one that convinced me, one of the people that I depended on, I talked to when I was leaving, thinking about leaving Apple, because I'm just like, I don't know what I would do next. And he's like, he's like, I had a great time doing the stuff at Apple, but it's even more fun out here doing it because you don't, you don't have to have that filter. You're not working for Apple. So you're just talking directly with the community. And he, he basically said, you know, come on in, the water's fine. And, we had some good luck with WinClone initially, but if I if I had known now, I've seen a bunch of people jump and do that, and there's a lot of luck involved, right? There's it it you gotta you can't just put software out there; it needs to kind of raise certain need. Still seems like he has some uh, special connections and special entitlements he gets, like especially for uh, Carbon Copy Cloner for do, doing different things that I've tried to get other software companies to get these special entitlements and. Having your connection to oh. Apple is, uh, you know, sometimes being a formal Apple person might help. I don't know. Uh, I think it's more he knows how the system works, but maybe it's possible he can do that. But it definitely, I mean, Carbon Copy Cloner is institution now. I mean, I love it. I gave up on my cloud backups just because my machine would start to, all the fans would go crazy. And it was just, wasn't a good situation for the cloud back. Now I just use Carbon Copy Cloner and I've had some bad situations where I just walked away from because I could boot from my external backup. Yeah. It's kind of a. Mike, Godson. Is, Mike is a legend and I'm glad that he was able to make a business out of leaving yeah. Apple and working with his software. And well, I tried to do iOS apps cause I left, you know, 2012, there was like, Oh, I can, I did Winkle and I can sure I can make some iOS apps and be very successful. And the app store is a very difficult place to make money. Yeah. Well, at least for, at least for the stuff that I'm doing, maybe for 
not so much for Angry Birds. I'm sure they do very well. But even, other things. even I made an iOS app a few years ago, but put it in for free because it was more of an ugly test. of. <laughs> but uh, yeah, now in my day job, I run a tech conference. And uh, we're very excited to welcome you to Mac DevOps on June 10th for our workshop day. We're going to have yeah. uh, a monkey report workshop followed by an MDS workshop slash demo slash Tim says whatever he wants to say for a half an hour. So we welcome you. Maybe I'll add in the, that monkey report modules to see and, and show some of the modules off. Cause um, yeah. I still think it'd be a good idea to have uh, like a YouTube series to see the different modules. Cause that's another one that's like, I didn't know much about, I knew a little bit about monkey. I didn't know about monkey report at all. And uh, just being exposed to the, the kind of feature set that we can do, we'll have no idea how much their lives could be better. <laughs> They're just yeah. using these tools. Well, in the, the version <laughs> that was just released, it was supposed to be a module marketplace that um, Tuxedo has been working on, but something went wrong with the build or something. So much, uh, it's either there not working or uh, they will add it very soon, but hopefully in the next wow. week or so. Um, but so you were talking about that with the call I was on was that marketplace and now he's already, it's he's already built it. Uh, I basically was able, I was testing it and it just shows you all the modules and not quite as slick as like a WordPress where you can click and install right away, but it's, it's getting there because knowing that's about great. the modules and what's out there is part yeah. of half the battle. <laughs> that's great. Well, thanks so much, Tim. We've, uh, greatly enjoyed hearing about, uh, two canoes and MDS in your, successful career as a software developer. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. I'm looking forward to the, the Mac DevOps coming up June 10th, right? Yes, in one week. Yeah, people have been telling me, like, you should go out to Mac DevOps, you should do it. And I'm like, I've never had the opportunity, so now I can do it virtually now. Yeah, there was a bunch of Mac admins that have been trying to figure out about Monkey Report, and I was showing them about MDS, and they're trying to figure out all these things. And they're, they were like, well, we can... Now we can join, you know, all these online conferences and we're like so excited about Mac DevOps because travel was just prohibitively expensive or, you know, just even leaving your couch or your home is difficult and leaving your family behind. It's not easy, you know, and I mean, I've never had child, never had childcare at my conference. So if you have kids, then like, what are you supposed to do? Right. But you want to learn. So now we have kids in the house while we're doing our conferences. <laughs> I don't know if it's easier, but it's built in childcare. Built-in child care, yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I went back to the office, even though it's empty. It's uh, my summer vacation hit. My son was, uh, the house was, didn't have that block of time where he was at school, you know, up, up in the spare room. It became summer vacation, which is, turns out it's a very hard thing to work around. Yeah. Uh, out loud, I tell my kids, I'm so sad that they have to do online school, but inside I'm very happy that they're occupied for a few hours a day. Learning meaningless or meaningful, very abstract things. You know? <laughs> uh, yes, even my older daughter was doing this university course, and she's like, I'm done my course on information systems. I'm like, oh, you should do another course. Yes, another course, please. It's so good for you. <laughs> Just That's right. Well, my son at driver's ed, he was out good two solid hours in the evenings, and he was into it because he really wanted to get his license. But now he can't get to the, to the DMV to get his, his permit because they're all closed. But it was a nice blah, It was nice to see him motivated to, you know, get on a Zoom call and learn about road signs and rules of the road. Yeah, I think there's some kind of eternal parenting secret where you try to get your kids motivated to something that they don't want to do. It's just not going to work. But as soon as they're motivated by something, then you can help push yeah. by any means necessary, money or encouragement or something. But if they have to be, they have to be into it. 
Yeah, yeah. Or told not to do it, right? Um, maybe. <laughs> yes. You should not that. learn how to program. You should not learn Mac admin things. <laughs> See, this is how you get help, Matt. I'm, I'm going to try that tonight. I'm gonna, <laughs> I don't want to be negative. I want to be positive. I told my daughter she could help me. She's learned all these stuff about malware and about like TCP IP and IP addresses. And I was like, we could set up a Minecraft server together. And she's like, yeah. So when my friends have friends over, I, I quiz them. They like they think they know computers. So I'm like, okay, let's talk about computers. And these are the terms they use, like what's ping time? Because they know it all from gaming, right? So it's, what's an IP address? And I even get down to like, what's memory? Or what's a hard drive? And you think they're like, my perspective is I just know this stuff. And it turns out my wife was like, the difference between like, okay, you have an 80 gig hard drive, but you have eight gigs in your computer. What's the difference between those two things? And they're just like, oh, dad, you're embarrassing me. But they're into it. They're like, ping time, that's how fast your network is. I'm like, no, not necessarily. <laughs> so yeah. it's a lot of fun to like have this. You're lucky your daughter is interested in that stuff. Yeah, she just picked this course. Um, and uh, <clears throat> it was talking about all these basic building blocks. And yeah, it's just perfect introduction to different pieces like memory, RAM, storage. You know, they talked about different. So um, yeah, if I had told her to do it, she would have never done it. But now she's into it. Um, I was like, we should learn some Python programming together. And she's like, mm -hmm. like okay, uh, next, uh, maybe we should do a Minecraft server together. Mm -hmm. yeah. The younger one's into Minecraft. So I, I set up an, a Minecraft server thanks to Michael Lin and his uh, awesome instructions. And I was waiting for part two and finally got it now. So iOS or Bedrock clients can join without a Java Microsoft license. And so now we have like iPads and laptops playing together on the same server and all oh, in name of getting my uh, daughter to play with her friends from outside. So we got people playing together and I have a creative server and a survival server and made my daughter the admin. She's like, I just learned what, what I just kicked myself out of the server. I'm like, why'd you do that? She's like, I didn't know what the kick command did. So I kicked myself out. <laughs> <laughs> you can do that. You can kick yourself out of your own server. Apparently, apparently <laughs> she did. And then she came and told me, she's like, dad, I'm out of the server. <laughs> yeah. What does this self-destruct button do? Beep. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's so many so many cool commands that you can run. Uh, I was I was trying to test them, and yeah, yeah, Minecraft. I've learned a lot about Minecraft last two months. I did not know I was going to learn about Minecraft, but yeah, we all I'm learned gonna, a lot of stuff we didn't. We'd have to learn. I think we have to do a quick talk series on what we've learned uh, in uh, COVID uh, quarantine time. Um, yeah, that's more than a quick talk, I would think. Uh, I haven't learned that. Free time, I don't do a bunch of projects around the house. I just sit around and look at the walls. <laughs> well, and buying things for your uh, mo uh, was it uh, Model T? Were you working on a car Model too? A. Model A, yeah. Model A, yeah. My grandfather, I got my grandfather's old Model A, and so now I'm refinishing it or renovating it. So it's a lot of fun. Awesome. Will that be IoT as well? <laughs> I was thinking about it. I was thinking about it, but we'll get it. We'll get it running first. No, oh, okay. Then and then after that, it turns out there's a lot of stuff is cool, like the. Uh, I pulled out the amp meter or the amp meter. It's no P amp meter, and uh, everything's so simple in there. It's literally like not even a coil. It's it's a wire that goes around, and then it's like this needle on top of water, and it would point towards north. Right? You put oil on the water, and you set it down. Does this make sense? Have you guys do that? Or nothing? Okay. I guess I remember. Matt, I was Matt in is my too clip. north to know. Uh, he's <laughs> like, if you're on the North Pole, it would just <laughs> right. around. Then uh, you put a glass of water and you put oil or uh, dishwasher soap on it. Then you drop a needle in it. It'll turn, spin around, and go towards north because it's magnetic. Anyways, it's like that. Right, I'm right, right. 
<laughs> I'll look that up. Maybe I'm completely wrong. Maybe they were lying to me in public school. Um, but this is basically the why the the current just flows through it and makes this needle kind of wiggle and tell you how much current you're using. So everything is like really simple compared to everything that has a computer in it now. You know, anything on a in a Ford Model A just has like a couple of bolts and you know a coil of wires. Nice. But I'll share that with you. If you guys didn't know about the uh, the needle, I'll have to look that up and see how to make your own. It grows on the north side of I trees. Might save right? some lives. Some people will get stuck in the woods with just water, dishwasher soap, and a needle. I'll help them get out. <laughs> Perfect. I'm gonna update my survival kit. Well, I can't wait to see you all virtually for Mac DevOps, and <clears throat> thank you so much for joining us on the podcast, Tim. All right. Thanks for having me. Cool. Bye. Thank you to our Mac DevOps YVR 2020 sponsors. Our sponsors for Mac DevOps YVR, the conference 2020. Mac Stadium, our platinum sponsor. Thank you so much for helping us out. Sauce Labs, our gold sponsor. Simple MDM, our silver sponsor. And Adigy, our bronze sponsor, as well as Elastic, our community sponsor. Thank you so much. Uh, we couldn't do it without you, and uh, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today for the Mac DevOps podcast. Thank you to our guests and co-hosts. Mac DevOps podcast is a brainchild of Matt X and Chris Johnson. Today's episode was edited by JD Strong. Please like and share this podcast on your favorite podcast service. International titans of tech here.